who are the three best sophomores in the NBA next season? And what do each of them need to do to take that leap? I'll break that all down coming up next. You are Locked On NBA Big Board, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And this is the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for making this show, this podcast, uh, your first listen today. I hope that's the case every day. We're back to five days a week doing that content, getting it out because basketball is almost here. I know we're all enjoying football, but NBA is almost back. I think preseason starts tomorrow with the Warriors over uh, overseas in Asia doing a preseason um, event, playing a couple games there. And then college basketball also right on the horizon. So all of our stuff, all the things we follow are coming up and we are very excited to follow the rookies, the second year guys in the NBA, as well as next uh, next year's NBA draft class. But um, my name is Sam Ferris. You can follow me on Twitter at Draft Dummies. I'm a credentialed NBA draft analyst. I got my credential to go to um, the game in Las Vegas next week between Scoot Henderson and Victor Wembanyama. Excited to be there. Very excited to see uh, those games. Uh, Victor Wembanyama has looked fantastic. I've had those top two guys as my top two on my big board for a while, as most have, and it's an exciting event. So excited to see that play out. But with the NBA kind of underway, taking a lot of headlines right now, I wanted to do an NBA show today. And the way that I wanted to do it is I'm going to tell you who I believe the three best sophomores are. So the guys that were rookies last year, in terms of long-term perspective, and what I'm going to do for each is quickly list for each guy uh, their stats last year, what I project their stats to be next year. But then the main thing I want to do is point to one or two areas, you know, specifically looking at stats in terms of what I want to see from those guys, from each of the three guys next season. And so without further ado, the three guys today that I'm going to hit on are Jalen Green, Cade Cunningham, and Evan Mobley. Uh, you'll hear other names thrown in there like Scotty Barnes, and I think Franz Wagner to me is a very, very close omission. If I were to move it to four, Franz would be the fourth guy, and then Scotty Barnes would be the fifth guy for me. But I wanted to be able to break down a little bit on each, so only time today to hit on three guys and I've always been a little bit higher on Jalen Green. I think he was slept on. And what he did second half of the year last year was slept on. To me, I think it's really close. I view all three of these guys in the same tier. I wouldn't be shocked if 10 years from now, looking back, if really it breaks any way between the three of them. I, I really wouldn't be surprised. I won't argue with you on the order that you have these guys in. But to me, these are the top three guys. For this exercise, I'm going with Jalen Green because he's been the guy that I've... I kind of differentiate myself a little by having him number one, and I believe strongly in him, and I'll kind of get into why in a minute. But last year, 
averaged 17.3 points per game, 3.4 rebounds, 2.3 assists on about 42.5-34-80 splits. So about 42.5 from the field, 34 from three, 80 from the free throw line. But as I alluded to, over the second half of the year, I think it was slept on because he did struggle early on. So I kind of went to the game log and found, you know, what were, what was his best, um, what was his best sequence or what was his best run of games throughout the year? So if you look at uh, his last 33 games of last year, so almost half the season, he averaged 20 points, 3.3 rebounds, 3.8, 3.3 assists on 48, 39, 76 splits. So like, the efficiency really went up and the raw numbers went up to average over 20 over the course of almost the second half of the season on that efficiency. I don't think he got enough credit for that. Now, because the rookie class was so good, he wasn't going to win rookie of the year. And I'll tell you later on who I believe should have won the award last year. But for me, when I look forward to next year, the numbers that I'm projecting for him, I think he's going to make a scoring jump. I'm saying 21 and a half points per game. And then around four rebounds, three assists on something like 45, 37, 82 splits. So I think basically what I'm expecting is to see a continuation of his second half of the season. He's talked repeatedly in interviews I've heard with him that he just didn't have that confidence or know where to get to his spots early in the season in. Frankly, I can't really blame him. If if I were to play in the NBA as a rookie, it would take me a while to find my confidence too. So that's not surprising. And I think if you watched him, you could see it click for him. The confidence just turned a corner and there's no reason why that should not continue. And so kind of expect pretty similar to what we saw from him second half of the year. Now, 39% from three, we can quibble about whether he'll match that. I've got him about like 37%, but close to 22 points per game. And if you look at those numbers that I'm projecting, 21 and a half points, four rebounds, three assists, very, very similar numbers to what Anthony Edwards did in his second year. And I view those guys as very similar level prospects at the same age. And I actually slightly do prefer Jalen Green. But I think the interesting part here that I want to do for each guy is uh, what what do I want to see from them next year if they are to make kind of that leap to the next level? And so when I look at Jalen Green, he's he's a shooting guard, right? And he's an elite prospect for a shooting guard. This might be disrespectful. This might be me being higher on Jalen Green than most everybody else. I think Zach Levine right now is, uh, it's not, like Zach Levine is not quite Jalen Green's floor, but I think it's kind of a almost realistic floor for him at this point. Like he's just that level of a prospect. And, And in terms of how his game will end up, because the scoring is there, the shooting is there, the efficiency, the athletic, physical tools, that prototypical two guard. But if Jalen Green is to be as good as I think he can be, basically there's kind of two main paths that he can go down to reach 
like a next level above those really guards, really good shooting guards, whether it's a Levine or a Bradley Beal, like you can be a, a top 20 ish player in the NBA if you're in that mold, but to differentiate, differentiate yourself from shooting guards, you either need to become, he needs to get to a different level defensively or as a passer. Those are kind of the ways that you differentiate yourself from those prototypical two guards you know, historically, like a Kobe Bryant, he, he had some of the passing, but the defense was there, all-level defender. Same with, like, a Dwayne Wade. And, and so, like, do I think he's going to be a top-10 player all-time? No, I'm not comparing him to those guys. Uh, I, I don't think it's likely. But um, when you look at the spectrum of shooting guard, elite shooting guards in the league, there's kind of the Zach Levine. And then, in my opinion, he's got to really improve as a passer or as a defensive player to really get to the next level uh, above just being a very good shooting guard in the Zach Levine mold. So digging into the numbers last year, let's talk about the passing really quickly first, and then I'll hit on, on the defense. First half of the season last year, he posted a 12% assist rate with a 14 and a half turnover percentage. That turnover percentage was too high. Uh, like it was in the bottom 20% in the NBA, but then he turned it around second half of the year, the assist percent up went up 2% to 14% decent bump there. But the big improvement for him was he bumped the turnover rate all the way down to 9%. So he went in terms of turnover percent. When you look at first half of the year versus second half of the year, he went from bottom 20% to borderline right there at top 20% in the NBA. So to see him figure out how to take care of the ball, that was a big improvement. And that was an easy way to add value. But I also want to see him take some risks as a passer at the same time and really improve as a passer. I think that is a possibility from him. So that's something, those numbers will be something I'll keep an eye on next year. Uh, in terms of the defense, it's a little bit harder to dive into specific numbers defensively, but you have to look at the physical profile first. We know he's a freak athlete, like explosive. He is an elite athlete, as elite as you'll find. And he's also been listed now at six foot six, and he's also talked about apparently gaining 10 pounds over the offseason, which is great as long as that doesn't really affect his athleticism because that's what makes him like a superhero on the court right now. That's what his superpower is, is that elite nuclear athleticism. So I really hope that that doesn't compromise that. I don't expect that it will, but him adding some strength and just continuing to fill into his frame is important. And just from an eye test, obviously I've talked about how much his game improved down the stretch second half of his rookie year. I do think that just anecdotally, I test that his defense also really improved. I think he was one of their better, the Rockets' better perimeter defenders last year, down the stretch especially. And just with those tools, especially as he continues to fill into his frame, like he's got the tools to be at least a good defender. It's just how much he buys into it. Uh and I think he's shown that he wants to do that. He's talked about that. And uh, it's just been like one or two days of practice. But Steven, Steven Silas has mentioned Jalen Green as one of the standouts. So just to summarize quickly, 
with Jalen Green, it's got to be on top of the natural development. He's going to improve in all aspects next year. Like I said, I expect or am projecting a four point per game improvement next year. But to differentiate himself from other good shooting guards, I want to see either the passing or the defense. I think it's more likely that the defense takes a leap. Um, but those are a couple important aspects that I will be watching with him next year. All right, we got to get into a break, but coming up next, the number two guy that I want to hit on is Evan Mobley. So we'll get to that uh, coming up next. But first, we have to hear a word from our sponsor, which is Bet Online. BetOnline.net is your number one source for football betting info this season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find. As always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sport wagering info with live betting and up-to-the-date, up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. Head to BetOnline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline where the game starts. All right, so the next guy that I wanted to hit on, to me, again, it's picking hits between all these guys, and I have, frankly, I, I've changed my mind because they're so close, in my opinion. Right now, though, number two, I'll go with Evan Mobley. I kind of wavered between Cade and Mobley, but... As I dug into the numbers a little bit more, it just pointed more me towards Mobley. And what I'll say is I think Mobley right now projecting forward is a little bit safer. Like I think his floor and median outcomes are a little bit higher. But if Cade hits kind of a 75th percentile outcome or higher, like I think his ceiling in terms of the position he plays is a little bit more perhaps important. I think his ceiling might be a little bit higher. But Evan Mobley... From a statistical point of view last year, 15 points, 8.3 rebounds, 2.5 assists on 51-25-66 splits. Now I'm projecting him looking forward to next year to average around 16 points, 9 rebounds, 3 assists. And you might say, well, that's not too big of a leap. And that's true because raw stats-wise, it's hard to project that leap because they just added Donovan Mitchell. So more shots that went around last year will be going to Mitchell. Um, I think Mitchell and Garland obviously are going to get the bulk of the shots. All It'll be interesting to see which of those two ends up taking more shots and is the higher usage player. You would think Garland because he's the incumbent, but um, Mitchell's been a very shot-heavy player. So yeah, in terms of the raw statistical projection, 16, 17 points, like I don't see a huge jump just because of adding Donovan Mitchell. But in terms of on the court impact, I thought he was the most impactful rookie last year. I think he should have been rookie of the year due to that impact. I also do think he was the best defensive rookie, most impactful rookie defender, likely since Tim Duncan. And and, and so that's where we'll start with him. I've got in terms of what I want to see from him next year, in terms of improvement looking forward, I've got a couple offensive things, but first I want to start with the defense. Again, super impactful. I don't want to act like I'm not 
I'm not a believer in his impact defensively. I am. He would have been my rookie of the year last year. Again, most impactful defender as a rookie since Tim Duncan. But when you dig into the numbers, because Jared Allen missed a good portion of the year last year, missed a lot of time down the stretch. So quickly, I'll lay out the defensive rating numbers. So Evan Mobley and Jared Allen on the floor together put up a 105.7 defensive rating. And to add a little context to that, the best defensive rating as a team in the NBA last year was the Boston Celtics at 106.9. So with both Mobley and Allen on the court together, they basically acted like the best defense in the NBA. Then we look at Evan Mobley on the court, Jared Allen off the court, 112.6 defensive rating so that that fell way off that would have been around the 16th best defense in the NBA and then Jared Allen on the court Evan Mobley off the court 110.8 defensive rating which would have been good for about 12th in the NBA so obviously without one of them on the court it really fell off which is to which is to be expected. And it was it was better, but not significantly so with Allen on and Mobley off versus vice versa. So the, the numbers point, I guess, to Allen being a little bit more impactful, but it's not by a big enough margin. And obviously, Evan Mobley was a rookie last year. So he's going to continue to improve like rookies are never even that impactful. So what he did was far exceeding expectations. I think that Evan Mobley will in the future win a defensive player of the year award, potentially even in the, in the next two to three seasons. And I'll add some context to like, if you look at the numbers and it makes sense looking at the roster, basically when Mobley played without Allen in almost every minute, like 90 to 95% of those minutes, at least it was Kevin Love or Lowry Markinen as the other big next to him. And so it's going to be difficult to have that guy as your defensive pairing, especially a guy like Kevin Love at this point in his career, and have a good defense. So I'll be paying attention to that number. Hopefully they both stay healthy, but how much of the defensive presence and the defensive success do we attribute to each of those guys will be interesting to monitor these defensive rating numbers next year. I expect Evan Mobley to even improve significantly because that's what tends to happen year to year. So that will be something to keep an eye on. In terms of the offense, though, um, I'll start with a very specific one that just jumped out randomly looking at his stat profile. And that is that one third of Evan Mobley's shots came from her cleaning the glass came from short to medium range, which is like floater range, the way I think about it. And he took a lot of those. So one third of his shots and and he only made 38% of those shots per cleaning the glass, whereas 73% at the rim. So almost shot almost twice as well at the rim versus kind of that floater short medium range. And so that really pulled down his efficiency last year because he took so many of them. And just as a contrast, because as I watched the games last year, what really stood out about Scotty Barnes was how efficient he was, how good his touch was on those awkward little floater, little push shots. 
so these same shots that Mobley didn't shoot that well on, I remember just watching games anecdotally that Scotty Barnes was making all those. So I went and looked and sure enough, yes, yeah, Scotty Barnes also took a third of his shots from that range. And again, taking a third of your shots from that range is a very high percentage compared to most players, but Scotty Barnes made over 45%. So like seven, eight percentage points better, which is a significant difference. So like, if he either, if Mobley either turns a little bit more of those shots into shots at the rim or just makes a higher percentage of those kind of floater touch push shots, whatever you want to call them, like that'll go a long way towards helping his efficiency. And I think the fact that he took so many of those, like uh, it, that's kind of a symptom of having to play with two bigs. And that's okay. That's a trade off they'll take because a lot of the time Allen was at the rim. Maybe with a guy there, Mobley couldn't get all the way to the rim and had to settle for a little floater or push shot. So that is one kind of um, uh, very specific observation I had. One that's more obvious that you look at immediately, it's kind of a bell that goes off on your head, is the three-point shooting. And if you just think about from a team um, concept, a, a team layout dynamic for the Cavs next year playing with two bigs and just moving forward like the three-point shot for Mobley is going to be very important just they need all the spacing they can get playing two bigs it's so effective for them defensively and Mobley being able to space it out to three which I do think he will do eventually it's more a question of in my opinion when that happens rather than if that will really help the whole team dynamic offensively as well as just his personal efficiency. Again, shooting 25%, if you think about, if we say he just bumps that up to 30%, which is still not good at all, and also bumps up those floater shots from 38 to 42 43%, then that efficiency is taking a big jump just, just by that low-hanging fruit. And then also the free throw percentage, 66%, like he can... He's got better touch than that. I wouldn't be surprised if that's low to mid-70s next year. And then if two of the three of those things happen that I just mentioned, then that efficiency is really going to go up. And like I said, though the raw numbers don't go up, the efficiency is kind of what's important offensively here. So those are kind of the things I looked at with Evan Mobley in terms of what I want to see from him looking forward, both on the defensive side of the ball, uh, how much do we really attribute that to Allen versus Mobley versus both? And then on offense, again, the three-point shot and free throw percentage should be low-hanging fruit. It's more a question of when than if. And also those weird kind of floater push shots. Keep an eye on those next year. Uh, just something interesting that stood out to me. And then the final guy that I wanted to hit on today, Cade Cunningham. I could have him number one. I could have him number three. I've got him three here today. I'll probably change my mind tomorrow. Uh, just an all-around stud. One of the few guys that averaged 17, five, and five as a rookie. Averaged 17 and a half, five and a half, five and a half. On um, like 41 and a half, 31 and a half, 84 and a half splits. Um, I'm projecting next year that he will average about 19.5 points, five or six rebounds probably six and six, I would say. And the efficiency is the big question with him. 
I'm going to project him to come in at about 44, 35, 85 splits. And when we take a step back, take inventory of the situation, I think his situation's really improved next year. When you look at the spacing around him, that really sucked last year. It was not good. But now you add in Bojan Bogdanovic on the wing. You've also got Sadiq Bey, who I think will... Sadiq Bey is a big beneficiary of their offseason. I think he'll be able to slide more into the spot-up shooting. I think his efficiency will improve. They can take back some of the load from him offensively. So spacing on the wings looks really good. And then they also added a lob threat in Duran, and he'll get a full season with Bagley. So they've got spacing on the perimeter, shooting the ball. They've got vertical spacing in Duran and Bagley. And then what I think is also important is Jaden Ivey, obviously, to me, was their biggest addition. I had him as the fourth best prospect, and so I love that they got him, and I think he's the perfect backcourt pairing. Uh, if Ivy ends up working out. And one of the things I've said about the Pistons is very few teams have ever flipped a long-term potential team weakness, which was explosiveness slash athleticism into a strength. And the Pistons did that in one night on draft night, adding Jalen Duran and also adding Jaden Ivy. And so I'll transition this into what I want to see from Cade Cunningham next season is uh, I'm going to get kind of specific here right off the bat, the pull-up three-point shot. So he only shot 30% on pull-up threes. He only shot 32% on catch and shoot. Like his three-point shot did disappoint last year, but specifically I wanted to hit on the pull-up because if we rewind a whole year out of these three guys, I did have Cage just slightly over Jalen Green who was over Mobley. And the reason is because I thought Cade would be the best shooter of the group. And Jalen Green so far has looked like the better shooter than Cade based on the numbers. And and what's interesting, though, is you look at the shooting numbers last year compared to his year in college at Oklahoma State. Um, in college, he shot 46% on twos, and he shot 47% on twos last year in the NBA. In college, he shot... 85% from the line. Last year, he shot 84.5% from the line. So very similar there. But then 40% on threes in college versus 31% on threes last year. So that was what was really lagging. And the two-point percent was always a bit of a concern, but it was kind of offset by him shooting so well in college from three. Again, shooting 40%, like that wasn't necessarily a question mark with him coming into college, but... We didn't think it would be such a strength, especially the pull-up in college looked so good. And so that was a little bit disappointing last year. So in order for that efficiency to improve, either the two-point shooting will have to come up, obviously, or the three-point shooting. Duh. Those are the two things that go into it on top of the free throw percentage, which he's a very good free throw shooter. And because the two-point shooting has always been a bit low the last few years, it seems more likely that the three-point shooting would rebound. And so specifically focusing on the pull-up three, like to me, if you look at the numbers, if you look at the best perimeter pick-and-roll ball handlers, they're the best. They're generally the best pull-up three-point shooters. 
Um, obviously, there's going to be exceptions with guys like LeBron and Luka Doncic. But you think about Trey, you think about Steph Curry, you think about Dame Lillard, best three-point pull-up shooters. And does he need to get to that level? No, because he's closer in size to the other guys, uh, uh, Luka and LeBron James. But just the way that pull-up three, it forces defenses in terms of the whole team, but also individually to guard you different. And I think it's a whole trickle-down effect where if the pull-up three does come along, then I think he will have more seams, more room uh, to get to the rim and for that two-point percentage to also then come up. So it's kind of a whole trickle-down effect there, in my personal opinion. So if we dig into the numbers again, we said he only shot 30, 30% on pull-up threes last year. And only 12% of all of his field goal attempts were pull-up threes. So for some uh, for some comparison here, look at a guy like Damian Lillard, where 40% of his threes, 40% of his shots, excuse me, are pull-up threes. Now, like, Cade doesn't need to do that. He doesn't need to be Dame Lillard, Steph Curry, Trey Young. But... 12% of his shots, especially with how much he was on the ball last year, which I actually looked this up. The play-by-play data is pretty interesting. He held the ball way more than any other rookies. In fact, over 25% more time he spent on the ball than the next highest rookie last year, which was Josh Giddy. So that was kind of an interesting aside there. But 12% of his shots only were pull-ups. Can he get that up to like 18 to 20%? And can he get the percentage of those that he makes up from 30 to mid-30s? Like 30, 34, 35% would be a good increase. And so like the thing that he kind of has had over the other two guys is the the amount of usage that he's been able to carry. He did lift up. He did a good job as a rookie lifting up a bad Pistons team. The team around him will be better this year. So he's got to improve that efficiency. Or frankly, with the amount of increased talent they have, both in Bogdanovich and then long-term with Ivy, I would really like to see him also move off the ball a little bit more, just add a little more versatility, a little more diversity of scheme to the Pistons. Um, I think that'll do a couple different things. It'll give teams a different look to have to guard, which will especially be important in future playoff battles. But, you know, when we talk about Cade from a prospect perspective last year, to me, what made him so special, such an elite prospect, was so few guys check so many different boxes. With him, he was an on-ball playmaker with size. But he was also scalable off the ball offensively because of his feel and shooting. But he was also a very good defensive prospect. And it's so rare that a guy will check all three of those boxes. So very rare. That's something you rarely, rarely, rarely ever see. And so, yeah, like, I'd like to see him work on that off the ball game. I don't think going full heliocentrism is the answer for Cade. But if we're talking about what I want to see from him improving offensively on the ball, that pull-up three, increasing the number of pull-up threes he takes, and also making some more of them would be kind of the first thing that I point to. Because if that hits, that will open up the rest of his game. But then, yeah, I'd like to see him move off the ball a little bit offensively, especially with Ivy 
giving him that opportunity long term, it's just much, much more difficult to guard. Like, he's not going to be Steph Curry, but if you just think about the impact of a guy that can be that effective on the ball, but also as a threat off the ball, that just opens up so much for your team in terms of the optionality moving forward. So those are the kind of the areas that I hit on that I want to see from him to improve next year. Uh, If you're watching this on YouTube, go ahead and leave a comment. Let me know how would you rank these three guys? And do you agree with kind of um, the specific things that I'm going to be looking for that I've mentioned from these guys next year? And what else are you looking for from each of these guys that you think they could do to take that leap to the next level? Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for making this your first listen today. Again, I hope that's the case every day. Very excited to talk about this. Very excited that the NBA is back. By the time you're listening, you the first preseason game might have even already occurred. So it's a great time of the year. We got football and, of course, now we've got basketball coming right around the corner. And I think that's it for me. Thank you for tuning in. I very much appreciate it. Again, leave a comment, leave a review. And if you are listening to the, or if you are watching on YouTube, but want the podcast version that is available as well, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for tuning in. Very much appreciate it.